0: up today you know I we've all made deals with God over things I get it I get it here's what I just don't want to have happen is if it doesn't work out just realize somebody more holy than you was praying for the other team (laughs) and um, don't let that ruin your day your week your year Um, just realize you know it's an invitation to greater holiness in 2023. So just think about that. Um, Thinking about bad days and bad weeks and bad months, um, there's a lot of different reasons we have those. Uh, Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Uh, Sometimes we make bad choices, and then we have to live with those. And we might want to get mad at other people, we might want to blame God, but at the end of the day, we just have to admit that, you know what, I totally messed this up and this one's on me. Um, There are other times where things ruin our day, our week, our month, and it's out of our control. No matter how hard we worked or tried or what we did, uh, it was not going to work out the way we want. Um, And in each of these situations, we've sort of got some options in life, you know? Uh, We find ourselves in these places, we might even say it's failure or defeat. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons why we sort of end up in in the gutter uh, of life and we feel sort of... Uh, neglected, left behind, um, you know, rejected, dejected, and in each of those moments we've got to ask ourselves, you know, where are we going to go, what are we going to do, how are we going to, how are we going to move forward? You know, we've been talking as we've been going through the story, looking at, last week we looked at lives of faithfulness. And here's what I, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that if you live a life of faithfulness, that things will always end the way you want them to. That if, if you're really faithful, that God always shows up, your team always wins, things are always great, and you never have, you know, bad hair day, you know, you're, you know, whatever you invest in always is up and to the right. It just doesn't work like that. Even really faithful people, and maybe even the most faithful people, have some of the, the greatest obstacles and challenges and defeats in life. I mean, if living a good life meant that you would then live an easy life, then Jesus would have had the easiest life of all. And yet we might argue that he had the most difficult. He was betrayed and, and crucified, and he lived a perfect life. So if, if you're hoping to be able to get an easy life by being good, uh, man, you're going to have to be better than him. You know, we've all found ourselves in places on life where, where we say, man, that's a bad day, it's a bad week, it's a bad month. Uh, today we're looking at the life of Joseph, and if you're familiar with Joseph, if there was a Super Bowl for bad days, um, Joseph would be a serious contender, if not the guaranteed winner. If if you've been following along with us in the story, you've been reading uh, chapter three this week uh, through the life of Joseph. You, you know the story, but I'll, I'll recap it here uh, just so that we we're all on the same page. Joseph was born to a guy by the name of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Israel gives birth to 12 sons, actually 13, two sort of merged together for, for a tribal thing, but we'll leave that apart. Uh, so he has these, this mess of sons from two wives, and uh, Joseph is born to him the, the son, the first son of his favorite wife, um, and so there's a little bit of family tension. You know, if, there, if you can imagine the sibling rivalry maybe that you've grown up with or have Uh, You can imagine how complicated it would be if you had, like, multiple uh, moms and one of them was clearly favored over the other. This is a whole dynamic that is is worthy of its own reality TV show uh, that we just don't have time to get into right now. So Joseph grows up. uh, His brothers kind of have painted a target on his back, in in large part because the dad is just so favoring towards Joseph. Uh, Joseph doesn't help himself, though, when he starts to have these dreams, and he has these dreams, and he starts to tell his family about these dreams. He starts to tell his brothers and his father and his mom and mom, too. I don't know what you call her, but he's like, hey, listen, guess what? You know, I had this dream, and, and in it, and he explains this, he's had multiple dreams, but they all end up with this, this uh, you know, application. That at the end of, of a period of time, you're all going to bow down to me. You can imagine that goes over really well with a lot of older brothers, You know, hey, listen, I had this dream. It's about these sheaves or these stars. But hey, at the end of the day, it means that I'm going to come out on top. You're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be in charge. And they're like, says who? Now, Jacob, you know, adds fuel to this fire. He gets Joseph this really swanky coat. Uh, We've talked about it being the coat of many colors. It could be that it had long sleeves. I I don't really know. It's probably not in fashion today, but here's what it is. It meant that he was much more like than his siblings, and they all sort of just kind of hated him for it. Jacob also uh, gives Joseph this job of, of bringing in a report on his brother. So he says, hey, why don't you go around and, and uh, check up on your brothers and tell me about how they're doing. And Joseph does this, and they don't like the fact that he's just kind of this tattletale. So one day they've had enough. Joseph's wandering around, finds them way, way, way out keeping the sheep that they had. And they look at each other, and they're like, aren't you tired of Joseph? And they're like, yeah we're really tired of him and they're like what if we were to like play a prank on him but like they're not like like nice pranks like they're like what if we were to like throw him in a pit take his clothes and like rip him up dip him in blood tell dad that he's dead and then do something awful with him and they're like that sounds like a great idea um and in fact that's what they do they kidnap him. They rip his cloak, his cloak off. They shred it. They dip it in blood. And they're like, hey, Dad, look, this is, isn't this Joseph's coat? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, well, he's probably dead. Um, and then they've got Joseph in a pit. And they're like, now, what do we do with Joseph? Some of them are like, let's just kill him, and we'll throw his body in there. And the others are like, no, we can't kill him. He's like, our brother. uh, Dad won't like that. Um, So they they had this discussion, and lo and behold, what should happen? But slave traders are wandering by, and they're like, hey, that's it. Let's at least make a, a couple bucks off of this. And so they sell Joseph to slavery, and away he goes to Egypt. Man, if you thought you had a bad day, if you are not in slavery and have had your own death faked... You're probably doing better than Joseph, okay? This is where Joseph finds himself. He is now enslaved. He's going to Egypt, land, foreign people, foreign language, all of this stuff, people he doesn't know. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. He gets down there, and it seems like life's going to be pretty good for him. He gets this job at a pretty important official's house, and he sort of works his way up, and he becomes in charge of the household. The problem is that the uh, the guy's name is Potiphar, and his wife's name should have been like Pot-O-Fire, you know what I'm saying? Um, and she is like, hey, Joseph, I know I'm married, but I think you and I, we've got a special connection. And Joseph's like, no he's like, you know, my master trusts me. Don't ruin this for me. But she persists. And eventually she gets a hold of his coat and black. He's got a problem with coats. Um, gets a hold of his jacket and blackmails him and, or doesn't blackmail him, but frames him. And so now Joseph finds himself in prison. He's a foreigner in a foreign prison. And now he's sort of back down at the bottom. Now I a lot of us can handle one big defeat and setback in life. But Joseph here now has had two major defeats and setbacks in life. So if you didn't wake up this morning in a foreign prison accused of, you know, accosting somebody, then, you know, you're probably doing better than Joseph was. But, but in each of these moments, Joseph persists and moves forward. And if you know how the story ends, he is exonerated. Yes, he he is forgotten, but he is lifted up to this position, and he becomes in charge of so much of the land of Egypt. And it's a great story. But the thing I am interested in this morning for us as we think about this is how is Joseph so resilient? How does he remain faithful? How How does he keep close to God in the midst of serious defeats and setbacks? Here's one thing I think Joseph does that we need to do. He does this. He avoids the shame trap of failure. He avoids the shame trap of failure. When you fail, when you get stuck in different places and things, you know, often it's like, yeah, I've already failed, you know. Might as well fail some more. If you've ever been on a diet and, you know, like on Friday you were like, oh, somebody brought in birthday cake to the office, so I had a piece. Which means now I should make my own birthday cake for myself. And have cheese fries. And pork rinds. And, you know, I've already failed this weekend, so I'd might as well now, like, go out to Waffle House. And I'm going to start again on Monday. If you've ever had that, you've fallen into the shame trap of failure. We're like, you mess up once and you're like, well, you know what? I'm going to really make this failure count. Uh, that's the shame trap, you know. Or you get into a spot and you start to, like, eat your feelings or drink your feelings Or self-medicate your feelings, you you end up in that shame trap of failure. You you end up in those spots where you fail, and because you fail, you decide, you know what, I'm a failure. I'm going to fail a little more. You look at Joseph's life, and you think this could have been a great opportunity for him to get stuck in a shame trap. You know, here he is, sold as a slave. Now he ends up in this house, and now this woman's going to frame him, and she's going to frame him unless he gives in to her. And at any point in time, I think we would have looked at Joseph and said, you know what, he's a young kid, you know, he's, he's in this place, this woman is here, you know, he's, he, you know, we would understand you failing, Joseph, but he doesn't. He avoids that shame trap of failure. He says, you know, just because I have been sold as a slave doesn't mean that I am a slave, it doesn't mean that I'm going to allow myself to have this mentality where I'm defeated, where I'm lost, where I'm set back, no, I, I refuse to do that. Now, I'm sure Joseph had his days. Let's, let's just be honest. There were days when he woke up and he's like, this is rotten. But I, I see so little of that wallowing and self-pity in his life. Joseph avoids that shame trap of failure. I think he asks the right questions of failure. This is something I think that we all really need to do. We all will face failure in life. If you haven't, you're going to. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. It comes for all of us. So when we fail and when we fall, the questions we ask, I think, are are super determinant about how we are going to move forward. Usually when we fail, we ask two questions just naturally somewhere in line, like they're just like inbred into us. The first one is this. Why me? Okay, Why me? You know, why did this happen to me? You know, I've been such a good person. I've done everything right. Why did this happen to me? And we just sort of end up in this like spiral where we're just constantly asking, you know, why? Why, 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 why? Let me help you. You can't answer that question. There is no answer to it. You might be better off to ask this question, why not me? You know, you know somebody was going to get, you know, this was going to happen to somebody. I guess why why shouldn't it have happened to me? You know, this why question is is defeating and it's depressing. The second question we ask is an okay question if we learn from it and move on. The second question is this is how did this happen? That's a good question to ask, but often we sort of like sit there and we like you know monday morning quarterback the whole thing you know time and time and time and time and time and time again and you know we know exactly how it happened you know we relive the whole thing it's fine if you're going to say i want to learn from this that way i don't repeat this that's that's good you ought to probably do that but once you've learned that lesson it's time to move on let me give you two better questions to ask instead of why and how Uh, ask this question where now and what's next Ask that question. You find yourself in failure. You find yourself at the bottom of the heap. You know, you find yourself in the gutter. The question is, do you want to stay there or do you want to go someplace else? If you want to go someplace else, you need to ask yourself where? Where now? Where are we going to go now? Okay, what we did in the past that's led to failure, what's next? What am I going to do now? These are so much better questions for us to ask. And I'll tell you, I'm convinced. I am convinced that Joseph asked these questions. He finds himself in slavery, you know, enslaved to this guy, Potiphar, who he doesn't know. It would have been easy for him to say, you know, I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm just going to avoid the problems. But he says, you know, I, that's not who I am. I'm somebody who I, I want to do my best. And so where now I just, I'm just going to move, move up the ranks. I'm just going to move up the ranks inside of the prison. You know, what's next? I'm just going to keep doing my best because what happened, that wasn't my fault. And I'm just going to move forward. These are the right Questions we ask, uh, you know. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, she said this: "The further we're drawn into the fellowship of Calvary with our dear Lord, um, the, the more sensitive we become to others." And she says this: "God never wastes His children's pain." I, I love that quote, and this is a woman who who had experienced a significant amount of hardship in her life, um, but she understood, you know. There's failure, there's disappointment, there's setback, there's defeat. We will all experience. But if we will ask the right questions, we will find really quickly that God doesn't waste our pain. That God will use our setbacks, our defeat, our failure, and he will turn them into something much better if we decide to move out from that place. We've got to decide to do that. We've got to remember to be faithful. And I think this is key for us as Christ followers. We need to remember that faithfulness is a long game. You know, just because you've lived your whole life You know, apart from Christ, and then all of a sudden you gave your life to Jesus, you know, doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be better. Faithfulness is a long game, it doesn't yield immediate results. Joseph is faithful in his father's house. Joseph is faithful in Potiphar's house. Joseph is faithful inside of the prison. And in each of these places, he experienced either defeat or a setback or in prison. He's forgotten by the people that he helps until, you know, much later. You know, in each of those moments, Joseph has a decision. He's got to decide, is he going to remain faithful or is he going to give up in that moment? And Joseph decides that he wants to continue, that he wants to keep moving forward, and he wants to remain faithful. Joseph has that. There's an old English word that uh, talks about patience as being long-suffering. We don't use that word much, mostly because we don't like what it implies. We don't like the idea that we would have to suffer for a long time. But I think that there's some wisdom in understanding that's what patience is. That's what endurance is. That's what perseverance is. It is to be long-suffering. Now again, Joseph had moments. Joseph had problems. But he had mastered the art of waiting on God and seeing God show up. When he was met with an obstacle, when he was met with a failure, he said, you know what? I don't know why I'm here exactly, but I know what I'm going to do next, and I know where I'm going to go. It, it reminded me of this story I had come across several years ago. Um, I love this story. This guy by the name of Ramchandra Das, 53, lives in India. He was the first uh, person in his village to get a truck, a, a, a vehicle, um, but he couldn't park it next to his house. Um, and so, in order, where he worked and where he drove, he had. To, I want to get these numbers right. He had to do a 4.3 mile trek around a mountain from his parking space to his house I mean we get we get furious when we go to Walmart and we got to park like at the end right but 4.3 miles like you would mind just walk, well, walk to Walmart so he's walking around a mountain and he sees other villagers are there he's afraid his his stuff's gonna get stolen and so what does he decide to do he decides you know what? this mountain really isn't that big I'm gonna chisel a hole through this thing And in fact, that's what he does. He gets just a hammer and a chisel, no power tools, and he starts to chisel a 13-foot-wide tunnel through a narrow spot of the mountain. It took him 14 years to do that. What are you doing this Saturday? Digging a hole in the mountain? You want to join me? No, not interested. All right, that's where I'll be if you decide you've got nothing better to do. And that's what he does. He chisels a hole through this mountain. And I think about that, and I think about a lot of us in America. I mean, you know, nobody in particular. And I think, you know, if you had to walk 4.3 miles to your car, would you still, I mean, would you still have the motivation after 14 years to say, you know what, I'm going to chisel a hole through a mountain? Probably not. There's something about that. But what happened? Through faithfulness, he gets it done. He gets it done. He hangs on. He finds it, you know, finds that it's worth the reward, and it blesses his village. He was actually inspired here. I've overlooked this part. He was inspired by a guy who dug a 393-foot-long hole in a mountain. So there you go. Think about that. So how do we hang on to faithfulness in in our Christian walk? Let me give you a couple ideas. First one is this. We've got to recognize God's faithfulness in the past. We've got to recognize God's faithfulness in the past. So when I face defeat... In failure, in life, I, I try to, in, in my good moments, look back and say, okay, um, where has God shown up in the past? What good could possibly come from this? How can I find a way to give thanks for this? That's, that's I think, the key question. And and here's what I find so often is when you find yourself in defeat and you're in this, why me, you know, or why God did you do this to me? Uh, And you start to say, God, could you just help me see how you've shown up in the past? God, could you help me find a way to give thanks for this? And and, and when you start to ask that question, you start to think about that. All of a sudden, it starts to shift your perspective. It starts to shift, you know, your thinking from where you're stuck to where you've been to how far it, it, it is that you've traveled in life. And I'll tell you, I think Joseph probably had the, the apt, uh, aptitude to do that. Second thing we need to do is we need to look for new blessings. Here's, this is so tough to, to say. And I know that sometimes life takes things from us and that it's hard. Um, and that in many ways, God doesn't replace a lot of what we've lost. But here's what he does do. He gives us something new. He, he gives us something different in its place. Let, let me illustrate this with the life of Joseph. Joseph was taken away from his father's house. He was taken away from being the favored child. He was taken away from his home. But when he comes to Egypt and he's finally exonerated, God gives him something different. He doesn't give him his old childhood back. He doesn't give him that you know that colorful robe that he used to run around in. He doesn't give him those things. What he does is he gives him his own family. He gives him children. And, and here's how I know This mattered to Joseph, the names he gives him. The first is Manasseh, which means forget. And Joseph said, I have forgotten my troubles and the pain of my father's house. Joseph says, you know what, God, you have shown up in an incredible way. I'm no longer a son. I am a father. I have the blessing of a child. And this God, this blessing has made me forget everything that I've lost in the past. The second child he named Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. If the firstborn was enough to forget, then the second was enough for Joseph to say, you know what, I've come out ahead. God, I've traveled this hard road. It has been full of defeat and failure and setback, and some of you know exactly what that is in your life. And Joseph says, you know what, as I look at the blessings I've received now, I realize that I've come out ahead. And God, because I've stayed faithful with you, I've been able to see the benefit of your faithfulness. You know, one of the, my favorite verses is in Galatians, and I don't have this one for you, but it, it says, you know, do not become weary in doing what is right, because we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. What would have happened if Joseph had given up in prison, or if Joseph had given up, you know, in Potiphar's house, or if Joseph had given up after he'd been forgotten? He would have missed out on these blessings. I'll tell you, I think so often God has things in store for us, and we've got to hang on just a little bit longer to see the goodness that God wants to bring in our lives. Third thing here is we need to ask God for his perspective. Um, Joseph, you know, he has this sense that he is not God. Um, when Joseph is finally reconciled with his family, um, his brothers are sort of afraid that now that Joseph is in charge of Egypt and they threw him in a pit, passed him off for dead, and sold him into slavery, that maybe he would have a bit of a grudge um, understandable um joseph says this though and this is such an incredible perspective that he has genesis 50 verse 19 says this to them don't be afraid am i in the place of god you intended to harm me but god intended for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives do do you see what joseph is saying listen he said one perspective was yours you intended to harm me when you set out this plan your plan was to do wrong to me He said, but when God set his plan out, it was to do something good. You know, you'll never get to that. I'll never get to that until we say, God, all I see is defeat. All I see is despair. All I see is injustice. All I see is how I've been wronged. God, I need you to show me this from your perspective. Help me to see how this can be worked for good. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. I want to pause and say this. He causes all things to work together. It doesn't say that he causes all things in the sense that he does the evil to you, but what God does is he redeems the evil. He redeems the injustice. He redeems that brokenness. He redeems that failure, and he works it for good if you will surrender it to him. Finally, this last one is tough to admit, but it's true. It's we've got to realize that some things will be redeemed in eternity only. Some of you have been through some really difficult and horrible things in your life. You've had relationships that have fallen apart. You've had children that have passed. I mean, really, really heavy things. And you'll sit around and you'll ask why, and, and the answer is, you know, you don't know. And you, you'll wonder, how can something good come from this? And if you were to ask me after service, the answer I'll have for you is, I don't know. There are some things that come to us in life and we go, man, there's, it's so difficult. It is so dark. It is so heavy. It's so evil that we just don't know how God is going to do something good with it. And there's no sense in pretending differently. And the truth is that there are some things in our life that are only going to be redeemed in eternity. 18, Jesus hints at this when he tells the disciples, he says, no one who's left home, wife, brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying, listen, um, there's not going to be enough time in this life to settle the score and to make it up to you. But he says, "I, I want you to know that I promise you that in eternity, I'll make it all up. I'll make it all up to you. And living a life of faith is one of those things that says, you know what? God is going to make everything good, everything right. I may not understand now, but someday I will. I may be hurting now, but someday I will be healed. I may be wronged now, but someday I will be justified. I may be crying now, but someday I will be filled with joy. Someday God will make it all right. That's what he promises to do. God's redemption just like we've seen in the life of Joseph. And, and we could go around this room, and I know you could tell me stories about how God has redeemed your pain and your failure and your brokenness, and, and I could tell you how it's happened in my life. You know, it all starts, though, with us surrendering that to Jesus. Worship team's going to come out. We're going to sing a song here, and I want to challenge you to think about what are you doing with that pain, that failure, that frustration? What questions are you asking about it? Are you, are you stuck in that why question? are you ready to maybe let go of that and say god i i don't know why but i, I do want to know what's next god i know where i've been but i'm actually more interested to know about where you're leading me will you help me define that and this morning you can follow that example of joseph and you say you know what i'm going to put the past in the past i'm going to move forward with god and so some of you that would mean you know giving your life to christ and if so i mean today could be that day you could do that um I'll be, I'll be sitting down over here, and if you've got a question, I'd love to talk with you. The person that brought you to church today could answer a lot of those questions. Some of you have already given your life to Jesus, but you've sort of forgotten that, you know, he's given you a fresh start. You know, when we baptize people, we say, you know, um, your past is buried, you know, you're, you're dead in Christ, and now you're raised to a newness in life with him. You're living a new life, but you've forgotten that, and you've gone back to the old. So one of the things we do here is we like to open up the baptistry and allow you to kind of come over here. We've got